This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today is about asking the coach anything. We do get constant emails from listeners asking some questions and sometimes we want to answer them on this podcast. So, there's some key questions that we get and sometimes we get repeating questions which means it's important for you guys to know or learn about and so that's what this episode is about. We're going to ask the super coach here uh, some key questions that you want to know about and what are the answers. So, we've got some specific questions coming up but first, Dad, welcome back to another episode Let's talk about our gratitudes. What's your gratitude for the week? Thanks, George. I always love these uh, episodes because we get to really give people some uh, detail about specific stuff that generally a lot of people are asked, thinking about asking that question um, and now we get a chance to probably summarize 50% of the people you know, would like to an- know the answers to these questions. So, um, so my gratitude uh, to start with. Um, for those of you who have listened to our podcast over the years, and we're up to what number, George? One forty or something. Forty something. One forty. Um, we did a we did a quite a an emotional one. <clears throat> I don't know what episode it was, but uh, my niece Shauna, my brother's daughter, uh, my older brother brother's daughter, Shauna, um, was 31 at the time, I think, and uh, we did a podcast with her and she came out and and really uh, talked in detail and in, uh, in very personally about her journey with, uh, with the bowel cancer that she had um, and it's been three years since she was diagnosed with uh, cancer and it was, it was looking pretty grim um, that she might not uh, survive and so my gratitude is that three years on, um, in that period, not only has she survived, she has um, gone on this fitness campaign regime that is pretty amazing. And she's had a few ups and downs over those three years where there's p- things where she's had to stop training again because um, she needed more treatment and um, some some minor injuries and um, hasn't all been smooth sailing by any means. Uh, so, you know, I'm grateful a that she's here, but b that she's taken on this fitness campaign, and and you know, when she couldn't run, she said, "All right, I'll start swimming." And so, next thing you know, she started swimming 800 a kilometer, 1200, 1400, and now she's at nearly 3,000 meters in some of her swims. And she did a, a a time trial the other day, which was completely foreign to her, as a, she's a non-swimmer. Um, but just wants to stay fit and swimming was her next passion. So here she is smashing a PB in her swim 1K time trial. And, you know, her running program has gone from, you know, five-minute walk runs to, to being able to run for, you know, nearly 90 minutes. And so it's it's an incredible story, an incredible journey, and, and I'm really grateful that she's been able to just have such a great attitude and positivity about um Whatever she's capable of doing, she's making um, those really important steps about um, organising her life so that you know she's going to make the most of every day and every opportunity. And it's only when things are taken away from you and potentially not looking too rosy um, that you appreciate what you are, where you are in your life and what things you can do to make your life um, much more enjoyable and more fulfilling and not put off things that, you know, 
you, you just you shouldn't. You should just get into life um, every day you can. And uh, that that's you know it's a long winded one, but um, but it really it you know it means a lot to our family and especially to Shauna and uh, and those of you who've listened to the podcast will remember that it was a very emotional podcast that we had and. Uh, and if you ever get a chance to go back and listen to that one, um, and here she is, you know, really killing it now, um, three years on. It's funny that we start these episodes with gratitude because Shauna is the queen of gratitude. And when life is basically taken away from you, uh, you start really uh, valuing it. And it's it uh, sucks sometimes that it takes those kind of moments for us to appreciate what we have or appreciate life itself. Uh, but I just call Shauna the queen of gratitude because I happen to run into her so often. We live near each other anyway, but I so often I run into her on a run or um, she might be on a run herself or on a bike ride or walking the tan. And every time without a doubt, one of the first things she says is she's just so happy because she's living and she's on a great walk or a great run. It's a great day. Um, and she says herself that not every day is a great day, um, but uh, she really tries to make the most of it. And she's just the epitome of trying to soak up life. And it's so... Uh, it's so inspiring and it uh, it rubs off on everyone around you when you have that mindset. And it's that's a big reason why we started the Gratitudes uh, on this podcast. My one is uh, just grateful for uh, dinner with friends. Had a um, great dinner with friends last night. Um, and I just was thinking about this morning and it's just always such an enjoyable time to spend some quality time with your friends for a few hours, um, You know, putting the phones away, just having great conversation. I really, really enjoy those kind of moments. Moving on to the next section, what has caught our attention? Dad, what's caught your your attention this week? Well, I must say there's plenty going on uh, around the world and, you know, um, in all sports and uh, it's pretty exciting uh, month coming up with uh, the World uh, Road Race Championships coming to Australia at Wollongong. That's going to be pretty exciting. Um, the welter's on at the moment. I'm speaking specifically about bike riding at the moment, but um, there's so many, uh, you know, events like the, the World Championships of Triathlon uh, and I'm sure there's many more that, are, you know, I could talk about, but I want to bring it back to local level. And um, what's caught my attention is that, look in our in our small group of a small running group that uh, we are really uh, don't get much um, promotion, I, I should say. And and it's not the glamour sport of uh, of bike riding um, for some people. Running's just bloody hard work um, a lot of the time. And uh, and look it. It's, there are a certain breed of people, runners, and and you know that's where my my early athletic you know uh, direction was always around running, and uh, if if I could run these days, I would, and and so I've got a real um, uh, soft spot for our running group, and I want to I want to tell everybody how good they are and how dedicated they are. And they're, they're normally the quiet, achieving type of personality that does endurance running. Um, they're not the 100-metre sprinters with seemingly oodles of testosterone um, <laughs> coming out of their veins. I mean that in a good way. Um, and, and you know, it takes, it takes a certain mindset to be able to be an endurance runner. And uh, whether you're running marathons or ultra distance or half marathons or 10Ks, um, you know, it takes a lot of effort and the fatigue factor compared to a swimming program or a pure bike program, the running program is so hard on the body. And for older older athletes, it's worse because your body doesn't recover as well. Whereas for younger guys and, and girls, it's 
it's not as bad, but it still takes its toll. So what caught my attention is what about this running group? Well, without fail, you know, I could rattle off Shauna, um, Elise, uh, Emma, Lani, you know, just four examples. And for you, your recent 10K, which, you know, you just completed another 10, 10K PB. And and every single one of the people that, are, you know, I'm, I've just rattled off a few, but they've, they've had periods where they've been training and then because there's no races on, we give people a time trial to see how they're going, to measure their performance, to see if they're, if they're improving. And it's just an incredible journey that I, as a coach, I'm just reporting in their program on a Monday, fantastic effort again, another 10K PB, another 5K PB, another half marathon PB. And I, and I note all the previous uh, PBs that they've done in June, April, January, last October. And the progression has been, from a coaching point of view, has just been un- unbelievable to see. And and why would I be surprised at that? Well, it's just that all the things you have in theory, when they come into fruition, <laughs> it's so you feel so good about it because it, you know that it's working. Mm. Um, so that's what's caught my attention is uh, seeing the people do the work and then whether it's a race they're in or whether they're doing their own individual uh, measurement as a time trial, to see continuous improvement. And, you know, take for example, you know, we talked – I don't know, it was six, eight, ten weeks ago. It might have even been four months ago when you did your, your best 10K. And, you know, you've just come out recently and run another 10K PB. And, and you know, it's always a bit of a worry when you're, when you're lining up for a, for a trial or a, or a test um, to see whether you can match what you've done before. How's your training been going? Have you been running properly? Have you been consistent? Have you done the work? Um, is your endurance good enough? Have you been running the strength sessions? You know, and... And all of those things I just mentioned, they're what's in our program. And lo and behold, no matter how many times I say, we we rarely do fast training as runners. We do all strength work with some, you know, some intention to have some intensity in our running, but it's not based around that yet. Over 5K, 10K, half marathon and marathon, we get people improving week after week, month after month, year after year. So so it's it's a long-winded caught my attention, but it, it needs to be said that, um, that, you know, if you do the work, be consistent, get stronger, you will run faster. And, and every time we do a, another 5K or 10K or half marathon test, I still haven't had anybody who hasn't um, improved unless they've been actually sick or injured. And so for everybody else who's, who's just going through the process of uh, training week in, week out, it's very satisfying. That's what's caught my attention. And I, it's funny to hear because I know that you can't pick favorites, but I know that as running being your first love, anytime a runner joins, you're really excited because you love you love setting a running program for someone and you love getting a runner in who wants to have a crack at a 10K half marathon or marathon. And um, even though you're not running yourself now and you've, you've been heavily involved in cycling and triathlon more than running, um, it is it's it's great to see that it's still such a <laughs> such a passion that you you love the runners coming on board so um and i guess that has to be said is that some not everyone knows that we also just do pure uh running coaching and um yeah we definitely do have individual runners coming in that want to uh break a certain barrier for half marathon or marathon and um, we absolutely do do that what's caught my attention is a uh, kind of similar theme to what, what you were just talking about and then my my gratitude as well um i before i did my 
10k time trial um i went to yeah dinner with friends and um we ended up going to an uh, a big feed me menu at a, at a restaurant and um, it was a big banquet it was six courses and it was really fun um and i just ate way too much <laughs> and uh we were just being very social and very relaxed and i didn't really think you know you, you have a time trial the next morning it's 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 good race practice but we've done so many that you don't always treat it like a normal race because you're just so used to the process um, which is another good point in itself in that a lot of people are afraid of time trials and if you can get to a point where you're pretty relaxed about it, it means you're doing them enough and you're not feeling the pressure of them, um, which I certainly didn't because I was not thinking about my, my food intake and before I knew it, I actually ate way too much and I was feeling a little bit sick, um, which is a big first world problem to have and I went to bed going, oh, I might have stuffed this up here and got up early, went to go to the time trial, started warming up and I just still felt like I had so much food in my stomach and I just felt so ill and it's just a reminder of how important you have to take all these processes and uh, doing something like that can really stuff up your race if you make a mistake like that and you've got to practice these what you're going to eat the night before so that come to race day you know exactly how you're going to feel and I guess it's a good lesson to make this mistake for a for a de-race 10 kilometer time trial Um, but I felt horrible uh, the entire time trial in the guts um, because of that and it really wasn't fun and you don't want anything to make you feeling worse on the day you want to be you know feeling as good as possible and then the flip side to that lesson is that uh, as athletes we like to be as well prepared as possible we like to have our routines we like to have our pre-race rituals we like to get ourselves in the right mindset so that when we get to the start line we're feeling as on as possible and i know i certainly do and i, I like to have everything in order and i get a little bit ocd on the day of a race because i just want to be in the zone and this is a good reminder that not everything has to be perfect to do well you know and you see it all the time in sports with tennis players, especially they have all these superstitions and they feel like if they don't do that that routine before they serve, they're not going to hit it well. Uh, and it's just not necessarily true. Those things help you get into a zone. But uh, in my case, I ran a PB even though I didn't feel great. Um, and it's just a reminder that, yeah, not everything has to be perfect. You don't have to feel like you're 100%. Um, you don't have to have you know, everything go exactly right for you still to perform well. It, it might not hold you back. So a couple of lessons in there, but those things really stood out for me. Yeah, and it also uh, while you've been telling that that story, uh, it is uh, reminded to me that y- you still need to have processes and and make sure you've got routine. And if one of the th- one of the things is not going so well, then you just have to adjust slightly. And you know, you may need to warm up a little bit longer than you normally do, or you you may need to do um, you know the stride outs a, a bit differently so that you can actually start to feel like you know the upset stomach that you're feeling is, is starting to dissipate. Um, so spend a bit more time, um, you know, before your event um, getting prepared. So, you know, maybe take some water or – but do do things to try and, you know, cause, because we have a routine and a process that you should be following, you know, pre, pre-time trial or pre-event or pre-race. And if you, something's not quite right, don't abandon the whole thing. And, and, you know, as they say, throw the baby out with the bathwater, you need to actually think, well, it's just one thing that's not feeling quite right. I'm still fit. I'm, st- I've still trained well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. uh, I still have a, I still have a plan. Yeah. I've still, all I need to do is execute according to, if I'm not feeling that well, I, I slow down a bit early. You know, it's, a, it's only a practice, it's only a practice run. And it, if it is a big race, you still need to have that mentality of, I need to adjust my plan and my execution according to how I'm feeling. And if I'm not feeling too good, then I need to adjust it down so that I give myself more of a chance. Don't just say, this is my plan and I'm going to stick with it, you know, high or hell water. 
that's not actually what should be happening. And I know we shouldn't go on too long about the, the what's caught your attention, but I've actually got uh, some guys over at the Hort Route in um, in France at the moment. Uh, it's the Alp the Alps Hort Route, and for those who know it, it's a seven stage. Uh, ride that's got time segments each day and some of the distances are between 140 and 180 k's and and it's 4,000 meters of climbing day after day after day so it's it and it's and it's like a GC for amateurs um, so you get to find out where you are on a GC it's accumulation of your time over seven days and we, we have really spent a lot of time with the two guys that uh, who are over there at the moment who've it just finished yesterday and um, understanding exactly this point about um, having a process, having a plan, and over the seven days, your fatigue levels are going to change. Um, the feelings you had at the start of the of the tour of the of the five seven seven stage tour are going to be different in the middle and going to be different at the end. So knowing that you're allowed, you are capable of riding most of the climbs over an hour or an hour and a half between seventy five and eighty five percent of your FTP. That might be different on the first day compared to the Wednesday compared to the Friday. And you need to adjust it according to how your legs are. And you often hear the commentators talking about, I love hearing Simon Guerin say, oh, it doesn't look like, you know, Roglic has got very good legs today. And what does he mean? It just means that, you know, his fatigue is is way higher than it should be. Um, and he has to adjust his effort accordingly. And, you know, the pros are having to do this. So why wouldn't we as amateurs have to do this as well and it, it really stands out more when you're in a seven stage tour for amateurs uh, in the Alps in France where you really do need to take consideration into exactly how you're going to execute day after day after day and adjust your your plan just like you said with having a sick feeling well it's the same with you know how are you fatigue wise um, these are key things that y- you you know I think we get this gets lost in a lot of the the information we're giving. It's all about data and and uh, and your power numbers and your running pace and you know it, what you feel has to contribute to how you execute. Um, and and if you don't get that right, and you you're pig headed and you go, well, these are my numbers. I should be able to do it. This is what my coach has told me. Well, that's true, but but it's not. It's, it's flexible. It's not rigid. It needs to have a fluidity about it so that you can change your mind, make better decisions faster or slower or stay the same at any given point in any one particular event or stages of a tour. So I think it's really important that the, the point you made was really good, but it goes on and on from that point. And um, and if, I think if someone gets the idea of what we're saying here, it, it's well worth this podcast on its own for just, you know, understanding um, that, uh, you know, there could be things that, that go wrong that, that you think might jeopardize your outcome. But, you know, you've just proved it again, that if you follow the process and execute properly according to how you feel, you ended up with a PB, which you probably wouldn't have thought the minute you lined up to go, here I go. And I'll be honest, uh, I had um, David Goggin's voice in my head. We've spoken about him a little bit on the podcast, but he's got a really famous book, a best-selling book worldwide called Can't Hurt Me, and he's just this nutcase Navy SEAL turned ultra-distance runner. And I had just seen a – he posted a couple of videos last week really going nuts on on Instagram. Um, and he talks about this th- concept called the 40% rule. And he says, when you're hurting and you think you're done, 
you're actually only at 40% of your capacity. And he says that, that sounds extreme because when you're at that limit, you just go, how the hell am I at 40%? I'm at 95% or 98%. I'm not at 40 And he just believes that the human mindset is so weak and we have so much more potential and he just goes really extreme. And everything he does is extreme, which a lot of people don't like. But I just love it because it, it kind of just opens you up to maybe – yeah, just finding a little bit more on yourself, even if it's not exactly 40%, it's, it's finding a little bit more on yourself. And uh, he put up a video last week where he was midway through one of his ultra races and his, his feet were just messed up. It was gross to see how messed up his feet were. And um, it's not normal. And nothing he does is normal. And, and we had Mitch from the running company come on here and just say, you know, battle scars on your feet aren't things to be proud of. You know, you, it shows that you're not wearing the right shoes, you haven't got the right technique, et cetera. And that, that is a very uh, reasonable mindset to come from. But Goggins comes from the fact that uh, I don't care how much my feet are hurting and how messed up they are, I'm going to keep going. And he got pretty grilled in the comments. There was hundreds of people saying, you shouldn't be shedding this message. It's unhealthy. It's not safe. Uh, all this stuff. Why are you showing this? It's not good. And he put out a video the next day and he was running along classic Goggins style and he absolutely ripped into everyone in the video. And he said, everyone's saying, is this the message I want to send you? I want to be spreading. And he goes, oh, yeah, it's the message I want to be spreading. He said, oh, you commenting, you're all just too weak minded to improve. And he just really goes nuts. And again, it's extreme, but I just love his mindset of, um, he's just saying, come on, stay hard. You're only at 40%. Um, and it's just a, it's just a funny kind of game to play with yourself. And I, I played it with myself. And the thing I thought, you know, it's not you're not feeling good. It's uncomfortable. Um, you know, running this pace would feel a little bit easier if you didn't have these gut issues. But I just thought about the forty percent. I thought, well, it's just going to be a bit harder than normal. Um, try and push through it. See what more you can have. And and when you play those games with yourself, and like you're saying, things might not not be going right, but you can adjust that and go. Like in the Roglic example where you've got bad legs that day, it's like, okay, I've got bad legs today. I don't feel good. Today's effort's going to be harder than it should be for the same power. But if you can get into that mindset and play that game with yourself, you can really turn things around. Fantastic. And uh, we better get straight into our questions, Stuart, because almost half the podcast done, we haven't even started. <laughs> it's the stuff we love talking about. <laughs> First question uh, came through and it's, it's talking about Ironman training and uh, the requirements to uh, do an Ironman are really, you've got to be able to get your volume up. And the, and the person's asking, they've heard conflicting arguments about whether you, you build that endurance up first and the duration or do you build the intensity and power up first and get the duration toward, more towards the race? Uh, or is it the other way around? Or do you do both at the same time? How do you how do you go about this approach when you've got so much volume to get to for something like an Ironman? That's a great question, isn't it? And one that um, even the experts are conflicted a little bit. The science tells us that um, that if you have a really good uh, endurance base for an endurance event, then uh, you should be able to start with some high intensity training at that time. But if you come into your program and you have very little endurance, then you need to spend the early part of your program building your endurance base. So that sounds very obvious, um, but some people um, think that, okay, I've signed up for the marathon, 42K run, or I've signed up for the Ironman, possibly 14 hours for me on that day, I need to go and do a six-hour ride. Well, that's that, that's not where what we're saying. You you need to build your endurance from where your longest ride has been previously before you started the program. So, if your longest ride's ninety minutes, then you can't go and do a six-hour ride the next week when you start your program. So, common sense says you need to start your next long ride at maybe two hours, and then two hours thirty, and progressively work your way towards 
getting the time that's going to you're going to spend in the actual event whether it's a marathon you, you, if you're going to run a 4 hour marathon you need to build up your endurance run to somewhere where the time you spend in one day is going to be similar not the distance the time you spend training it's going to be similar to the time that's going to take you for the run on race day so if you're going to be a 4 hour marathon runner and it's around 6 minute k pace you know in your training session you might train for 3 to four hours, but you might only cover 26K and you're running at seven-minute K pace. So, so they're examples of why the base is sp- particularly specific to what your level is um, at a, any given time. And we've spoken plenty of times about the, the need to build that foundation and work up from it. Um, but it's like you're saying, it depends on the person because someone might be starting their Ironman journey, but they already have a really good foundation. So, they don't need to spend as much time uh, building that up there and already starting from a really good point compared to a beginner who's starting from scratch and what are our principles for training it's um volume first uh, frequency first then volume then intensity and so you're not really wanting to look at the intensity and that's one of the questions uh, the listener asked is is do you need to separate them um and it, it depends on the athlete for someone starting frequency first volume then intensity for someone that's got a lot of experience they can be doing intensity right from the start and combining it um, while they build that volume up right? yeah absolutely and don't forget um every every program whether you're a, a complete novice you haven't got any endurance um history um you still will benefit all the data from science studies tells us that if you're doing your endurance session that might start from 90 minutes, aiming to go to six hours over six months on a bike, if you start to do one high-intensity session right from the beginning of your program, you will be far better off at six months later than if you just do zone two plus endurance. Um, and so, so there's confliction there, isn't there? You know, Should I just be yeah. <laughs> aiming for um, getting my base up and not worrying about intensity. Well, the data tells us, the science research tells us that from subjects that have been tested where they did no intensity, subjects who did some intensity, some subjects who did high intensity have ended up at the end of their uh, testing period, whether it's three months, 16 weeks, eight weeks or four weeks, better off at further down the road by doing some intensity. And that doesn't mean you're doing two or three high-intensity sessions per week at the beginning of, a, of an endurance program. It means that you need to think about putting that in if your body can cope with it. And, and of course, you know the example I'm going to give you is as a runner, I'm, n- I'm not going to give a high-intensity session to a runner who starts a program for a marathon that's in six months' time who's got no history of running. I'm not going to give them any hard running. They're just not going to do high intensity. We'll try to get it somewhere else because the risk of injuring them is just massive. Um, and so, you know, there's so many examples of variations of things that you have to consider um, what the sport is um, because, you know, high intensity training as a runner is highly risky. High intensity training as a rider and a swimmer has got somewhat less risk to it. So, so, you know, it depends on the sport, depends on your fitness at level. It depends on a lot of things, as we've always said in many podcasts, the word depends. But we're trying to give answers to questions that would help people understand that, yes, you need to progress your endurance to a point, you know, probably four to six weeks out from your race where you've actually covered the time that it's going to take you to complete that race on race day. And that's the key question here. 
Exactly. And I think uh, the only thing we could rule out is completely separating them and having just volume periods, endurance periods, and just intensity periods because it's just not going to work, especially if you're building up to an Ironman. It could take you to that point where you you only get to the required volume six weeks out, you know, that when you, when you do a slow progressive build-up and you can't just not do any intense training until six weeks out. There absolutely needs to be intensity in there well before that. So, um, yeah, there's um, definitely no need to keep them completely separate for the entirety of the program. That's, that's probably the biggest no out of that question. Going into the next question and similar kind of theme is uh, thinking about running off the bike throughout the week. Should they just be slow, easy recovery pace runs, aka zone one runs, or should you aim to be doing those as a zone two run? Yeah, and it's uh, another you know another general question, isn't it? That that can that can be um, picked apart. We can we can absolutely pick this apart. Where are you in your program? Are you four weeks out? from your race day or are you 14 weeks out or are you 24 weeks out? So that determines the answer here. So very early on in the program when you've got another 20 weeks to go, there is absolutely no need to run off the bike within with any intensity. You just need to build up that aerobic fitness and the feeling that you're trying to achieve by running not fresh, by running the same way as you're going to do on race day after you've done a, a, a bike session. So that is the goal of of that is the main goal of this particular run off the bike session is just to continue to slowly build your aerobic fitness and experience the feeling of running when you've had a bike session in your legs. And so whether we run in zone one or two, it's okay. If you're new to running, make it as easy as possible. And that may be some sections of zone one, some sections of zone two. It's okay to be in and out of those those two zones because they're very similar. You know, we are trying to run as easy and as relaxed as possible. We're trying to build up some strength in our in our overall body um, as a runner, um, so that you know the, the more times you spend uh, out there pounding the pavement, the stronger your body is going to become week in week out you know right from your feet to your ankles to your calves to your quads to your hips they're all gaining some improvement in fitness and aerobic capacity and some strength because you know if if you're varying the terrain you're running on even in the easy runs you can still do rolling hills where your heart rate's well down and you're just really cruising You, you are absolutely um and enabling those those tendons, the cells, you know, the muscles to to continually overload week in week out by by exposing them to to you know the the more running you can do as a runner, the the, the better the benefit your body will be able to cope with anything, regardless of your aerobic capacity and your fitness, your 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 muscle and strength ability to cope is what we're trying to also build at the same time as building aerobic fitness. Um, and, you know, you can do that um, just by running easy. So so whether you're in zone one or two, doesn't matter. But as long as you're not going above that in these sessions until it counts where we may ask you, you know, four weeks out or eight weeks out to do a 5K run off the bike or, or a hard 3K or, or progressive fast run. Uh, off the bike, so so there are variations to this, but uh, but generally we're we're really trying to get you just just to get your body to understand how to cope better week in week out, so you are becoming a little bit more bulletproof um, as a runner because we know that if you do things more often, which is consistency, uh, sorry frequency, uh, 
obviously consistency you are doing it more often but but if you're frequently doing something um with with less volume less intensity um there's been so many examples of um of t- uh trials that where people have done i was listening to a great podcast just recently and um the the trial was um to do with uh bicep curls and the three separate groups were um one group did no bicep curls and you can imagine how their their improvement's going to go one group did uh, bicep curls where they did uh one session uh that was had no interruptions, so they did um, two by fifteen reps for bicep curls uh, each day for the four week period, and the other um, um, group did. Uh, I think they did three sets per day of five bicep curls to add up to the same amount as the group who did two by fifteen. Um, so <laughs> they they just yeah. did them spread out across the day, and the group that that did the spreading out with with less um uh reps you know kind of volume the, the yeah. volume they they yep. achieved 10% improvement in in across all all the measurements size of biceps strength uh the group that did uh one straight block of 215s they improved the next best by 2.5% and the group who did nothing did, the improvement was zero which is be, be obvious but what is astounded me was lots of little efforts spread out throughout a period is still better than one big effort. Um, and that kind of goes against what endurance training is about. But, but you know, specifically we're talking about doing something to build uh, muscle structure and strength. And that's what doing lots of little runs is going to do. It's going to actually make you more stable as a runner, more balanced as a runner. You know, your tendons, your and ligaments, your cells, all those things are going to be stronger to be able to cope with the load of the long endurance event that you're training for. And hopefully that's that's yeah. a message that I'm getting across. Yeah, like you said, it's it's that same principle, exact same principle. It's frequency, then volume, then intensity. And so, um, you know, we have a rule with uh, running off the bike is that we need triathletes to be doing at least two runs off the bike a, a week. Pretend, like we, we would prefer three and that's about getting that frequency up. And so, the most important thing is getting to that point because a lot of people are doing none or maybe one. And so... If it means you have to go really easy, really slow zone one to be able to get to that frequency and get your body used to that without breaking down, then that's so be it. Then once you've done that enough, once you've done that frequency for a certain period and you've slowly built the volume up, your first ones might be 10 or 15 minutes off the bike and you build it up to 30 minutes or 40 minutes, um, then you can start to go, all right, now that I've got that under, uh, under my belt, I can start doing these at zone two and really getting that aerobic um, fitness benefit from it uh, and then as you get closer to the race, like you said, you start doing five kilometer time trials off the bike, you start doing intense race specific um, efforts or tempo efforts off the bike and it just follows that exact same pattern. The next one is, and this is a quite common question we get, is uh, can you rank the most important things that someone needs to buy or purchase or invest in uh, to improve? There's a lot of things you could do. You could you could buy equipment, you could buy uh, te- technology equipment, you could buy a program, you could buy an indoor trainer, you could buy wheels, you could buy a new bike. For us, what are the most important things? And I want to narrow it down and rank what we think are the most important things are for you to invest in first in order to improve. Uh, obviously, if you get it all, that's the best outcome, but that's just not possible. So, uh, if we list them out, if we go, the most important things that if you get them all that are required to really help you as an athlete would be a power meter, a bike computer, obviously, to read that power meter and to read your time, everything, an indoor trainer, a training program and a training program that you can read on a training software that actually gives you feedback on the sessions, 
um, a time trial bike for triathletes and cyclists compared to just a road bike, um, better wheels, um, uh, aero helmet, um, skin suit, uh, any, anything else in this list, you know, investing in nutrition. Um, psychiatrist. I'm sure we could rattle off more. Yeah, psychiatrist, <laughs> yeah. Nutritionist. Um, for us, there's a big list of things, but to make it simple for someone, what's 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 some of the – let's go with maybe a top three, four, or five. Uh, what should you be investing into? Um, try and get you started and give you the most bang for your buck. It's a really good topic and one we could really talk a lot about, I think, and spend probably half an hour on. Um, but it's the first – And we have spoken about all these things individually, so yeah. I think it would help. I guess the question is wh- where do you rank them in order? Yeah, well – I get this every time someone applies to 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 get coached um, by Trivalo. Um, this is the question that I'm asking straight away, and and so I'm congratulating them and making that decision to invest in a program. That that is, they've reached out. They want they want guidance of what to do and when to do it, and and that's really, you know, that is the the crux. That that would be my number one thing, is getting the right program that suits you and you know everybody knows how to train hard to a certain degree everybody knows you need to train f- frequently everybody knows you need to have some endurance but it's knowing when to put them in the right order when to have them at at the at the early phase of your program or what, what do I do as I get closer to the middle phase or what do I do when I get you know six weeks out from the race two weeks out so Getting that assistance with, with all those details, I think is is going to be more of a game changer than you having a shiny new bike, uh, you know, an indoor trainer, great wheels, great skin suit, helmet. They're all things that really help you, you know, get get better. Um, and after all, that's all we're trying to do here is get better as an athlete. Um, you know, the power meter is clearly important because it's going to give us feedback about. Uh, but if you don't actually have a program that that understands power, then having a power meter, as we found, can be absolutely useless to us. It's yes, I've got a power meter, I can see the numbers, I haven't got a clue what it means, and and that happens a lot. You you say to someone, "Do you have a power meter?" and they go, "Yep," and I have no idea what I'm looking at. Yep, and you know, what's your FTP? I've got no idea. Don't even know what that word means, and and that's okay because mm-hmm. there are a huge percentage of people who are in that category, and everybody thinks. That everybody should know about power and 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 FTP and all those, uh, you know, anaerobic aerobic words, but but most of the the population don't. It's a small minority of people who are across it. So if you're in that minority, congratulations, you've done well. You've you've you're a way ahead of the pack because the majority, I'm talking 90% of the people, don't understand any of that. So, you know, pat yourself on the back if you're in that small percentage. But but in order to rank these things, I think getting to know what to do and when to do it, what session to do and on what day you should do that program to suit you so that you can get to race day as, as fit as possible to get the best outcome. So I think that in my my opinion, um, all the other stuff comes secondary. And so the next thing, and we're talking just about bike bike riding at the minute. Um, I think I think the power meter, you know, that that is really the next best thing that you should be thinking about spending your money on. Um, um, and of course, if if you're a triathlete, there's so many other things you need to spend your money on, like a bike computer. And and you know, if you've got a power meter, 
Alpha, alpha but, flies. Yeah, <laughs> and shoes and stuff. But if you haven't got a bike computer, you can't read your power meter. So you, the two go hand in hand. You know. So I'm asking that question, do you have a power meter? And if the answer is no, are you willing to get one? If the answer is no, then that's the end of our interview. We're not going to coach you. Do you have a bike computer? Uh, no, no, I, I don't have a bike computer, but there's a power meter on my bike. Well, there's no point in having a power meter on your bike if you can't read it via a bike computer. So you either have to have a, a watch or a bike computer that can read it. And are you willing to do? We call it. We call it a. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say we call it a bike computer. A lot of people refer to it as a head unit as yeah. well, but we just like saying bike computer because it's it's quite advanced technology and it just clearly states what it is. So that's why we call it a bike yes. computer instead of a yeah. head. And unit. It, you know, the bike computer can be a wristwatch um, because you yeah, know wristwatches do read power. So. Um, all the triathlon watches do read power, as well as a bike, a, you know, a designated bike computer that sits on your handlebars. Um, so, so the, you know, definitely for me, my my number one thing would be get yourself the right program that's suitable to you, um, and then you'll none, then you'll wake up each day going, fantastic! I know what I'm doing today. I know what the goal is of this session, um, and I know that it has to be done today. And if, if I can't do it today, I've got a program that's flexible and I just have to find out from my coach, um, what do I do if I can't do it today? So, so they're the really key things that are going to allow you to get to race day regardless of your equipment. Um, you know, you'll still be a better athlete with the crappiest equipment as long as you've got the right program for you, what to do today and, and is today the right day to do it. Um, so the what to do and when to do it is the key, and then you can start, you know, categorising the next most important thing. And I think if we um, if we did put them in official categories, we'd almost say necessary, and then really important, and then um, bonuses. And necessary, we say, is the program. And then just below that, in the in like a tiered level, would be the power meter and bike computer. And then once you have those things, you are able to complete a really good program and really improve and see dramatic improvement. And they're the necessary things. And without them, we we would not, uh, like you said, take anyone on to coach. And then you don't require an indoor trainer. We wouldn't put that in the necessary category, or that it is super helpful and it's a really important thing to have. Um, so. Yeah, again, it's it's much harder to get the training done if you don't have that option, but it can be done. And then all the other things, the a new bike, uh, better training, better wheels, um, you know, disc wheels, carbon wheels, um, better equipment, skin suit, helmet, psychiatrist, nutrition, <laughs> nutrition. Um, yeah, all these things um, are really going to be beneficial for you, uh, but they're not in the required or really important category. Yeah, and that's a really good summary. Um, you know, we've got to understand that not everybody can afford, you know, every single piece of bling that's out there. Um, the basics are, is all you need. You know, as a triathlete, you, you do need to have a bike that functions. So, so you can't actually do the race without one. So, um, you, you do need a set of goggles. You know, you do need a decent pair of running shoes that you're not going to get injured from. So, so they're the basic things that you actually can't do without. Um, but whether you need to get the most expensive one of those or the most up to date, that's that's depending on your finances, really. Um, um, of course, if you can get you know the best equipment, disc wheels, tri spokes, you know TT bike, you know the the Alpha Flies as runner, you know the form goggles, you're going to be 
in a better position than someone who can't afford that, unfortunately. Um, and that's just the nature of it. Um, why are you going to be in a better position? Because you're going to actually, you know, with a better bike, you're going to be one or two kilometers faster with a better bike, with better wheels, better aero helmet, skin suit. With those running shoes, we know that they're faster than but they're very expensive. We know that the form goggles give you more information about your pace, so you're going to execute well. So, so that's the reasons why you would try to, if you could, get the equipment that's necessary for your chosen sport. And if you're just a marathon runner or a 10K runner, it's a lot more cost-effective, isn't it? You're only really needing you know, a singlet, uh, a watch, and a decent pair of shoes. Um, as a swimmer, you just need you know, wetsuit, goggles, um, and a watch, and you know, as a as a cyclist, it's it's a very expensive sport. You're needing so much equipment, um, and as a triathlete, you're needing all of that equipment. So, so you yeah, know, yeah. there are restrictions to people. It's all very well for us to sit up here and say you should have this, you should have that. I'm very mindful of the cost factor, and I, I want to encourage people to participate in their chosen sport, not discourage them by saying, oh, geez, I don't want to be a triathlete. I need to have all that equipment. Well, you don't need to. Some things are necessary. Um, you can still do the sport without it. Um, you still can have incredible fun um, with without half of the things we're, sp we're speaking about. Um, but it will be more enjoyable if you find yourself improving because we are competitive beasts and we do want to get the best out of ourselves. So if you can manage to, to get these things secondhand and, and they are functioning properly, um, then by all means, get all this equipment so that it, it is going to give you the better outcome uh, at, the, at the end of the day because that's really, we love to see ourselves improve and these things will help us. I, I liken it to a video game analogy where um, as you go through a video game, you upgrade your, your levels and you upgrade maybe your video game character or something and they, they get better equipment as they get more experience rather than if you're just starting at level one and then you get all the best equipment, you wouldn't even know how good it is because you haven't experienced anything different. And I really like the journey that naturally happens with athletes where you get into the sport, you might start with a basic bike that you've borrowed from someone or just the first bike that you can get. Um, with basic wheels, basic training program, and you go through a three, six months or a year period training on this on this uh, relatively poor equipment to, compared to what's out there, um, but you're still loving it. You're still having a lot of fun. And then once you've got that experience, you go and upgrade your bike and then you go, whoa, this is so much fun. I did not know a new bike would feel this good. And you really get to appreciate that difference. And then once you do that for another six months or 12 months, then you get a set of carbon wheels and then you go, whoa, this is even better. I've guessed gained another kilometer or two uh, because of the wheels. And so, you really get to uh, enjoy the benefit of that experience. And I think that natural athlete progression is actually quite good compared to just getting all the best equipment from the start, you know, uh, all the gear, no idea. Um, you wouldn't even know what you had and you wouldn't even know how to use it. So, uh, I do like that progression. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point you make. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen lots of people with incredible $20,000 bikes who ride to the coffee shop and back and are very proud of their equipment <laughs> and, and love their bike, and but they're actually not even using it properly. Um, and and that's, that's absolutely fine as well. You know, there's no criticism here, but it is just so funny when someone who's so dedicated to their training and, and can't afford, you know, let alone, you know, a bike that's worth two grand that that's just doing the basics for them you know you, you kind of feel for them because it's 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 restricting to a point but the, the passion's there and and you you know you're going to do the work then eventually you know um you'll make things you'll make things happen in 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 terms of equipment because you just love what you're doing and and you know at the end of the day that's more important the actual the actual 
doing the program, doing your sessions, you know, that's what should be more important than the shiny equipment that, that you have um, at your disposal. So it should be all about, you know, what's my training uh, looking like today rather than what am I looking like today on my, sh- on my shiny <laughs> equipment. So if you can keep yeah. that in mind and, and don't be too disheartened if you can't afford all of these things. And that's my message here is, um, you know, we're ranking things but – bearing in mind that some things are out of people's reach um, and, mm-hmm. and you know, that has to be a consideration um, and you just do the best yeah. with, with what you've got and if you see that there's a bargain somewhere, you know, be across it and, and make sure you, you jump on it, whether it's secondhand or brand new. Yep. Yeah, that's a great way to finish. This has been a good uh, Ask the Coach Anything Q&A with the Coach. We hope you've enjoyed the answers and we'll see you next episode. 